going on digital wildcatters welcome to another week of big digital energy chuck I think you I'm don't a... seem to have big digital energy today I'm tired what's today don't know what's going on in energy market so one either i've been hanging out with my kids yeah for part of the week i was down on the border on the mexican border and didn't have any cell phone reception or wi-fi it's funny oh i got God, that must be nice we got it was i got back to houston i had people talking shit to me about bitcoin crashing i was like dude i don't haven't even known i've been out in the, <laughs> in the boondocks so kind of been out of the loop the last week and um having in, a, to... in, in all in all seriousness did you pick up anything down there about border crossings drugs just i want to go down there just because you know you hear from picked up a lot you you hear like from the republican side that it's horrible you hear from the democratic side we're being humane i'd actually like to know some real facts bad um, from the people that I talked to. So I know some people, we were down in uh, Del Rio and I know some people on EMS. And one thing that struck me about the lake was how low it is. I mean, crazy low. Is that the, Devil? Uh, lake Amstead. Lake Amstead, yeah. yeah. So all the bridges that cross the lake, you know, it says no fishing signs. Well, you can't fish anymore because it's just dry dirt. There are their lake beds. There's no water there. And so started talking to some people because, you know, there's a dam there. It's a man-made lake. And I said, hey, are they releasing water out of the lake? What's going on? And they're like, yeah, they're keeping the uh, Rio Grande high. That's why you have so many deaths. And talked to someone in EMS. They said, we're pulling bodies out of the river every week. And it was just, I think, last month you had someone from National Guard um, die, uh, saved uh, two immigrants. Um that were in the river saved them from drowning and he drowned himself and so i thought that was pretty uh interesting and then asked about the whole remember the thousands of haitians that were posted up in del rio a couple months ago you know it just went away and you didn't hear about it right well here's what actually happened is that during the night they were putting them on planes from the air force base and flying them all over the united states and I talked to people that were there actually working that camp and they said that you had to be really careful because you couldn't essentially spook the camp and make them think that they were going to be deported or else they would, um, you ran a chance of being overrun. And so anyways, I just really talking about the, uh, it's really humanitarian crisis. Right. And I was talking to EMS and they're like, Hey, we gave, we gave birth to three babies in that camp right there on on site and just talking about the uh, struggles um dealing with that amount of people with limited resources especially from the feds and so the overall sentiment is that it's bad it's a bad situation and it's not really improving much well and the the reason to bring it up on an energy show and all is it seems to be having repercussions on the u.s voting populace in that hispanics are now overwhelmingly turning to the republican party i mean the, the republicans just picked up a congressional seat down in south texas that hadn't been republican for 140 years yeah. and yeah and so you know i don't know if this is truly the democrats thinking they're doing the humanitarian thing at the border. If it's the cynical view of, no, we're going to let people in, they're going to be Democratic voters in the future. But it seems to be driving Hispanics towards the Republican Party. And if that happens, Democrats will never hold another office. Um, that is a very 
I saw some tweets about that the other day, and I've always found that interesting because out in West Texas, a lot of my Hispanic friends are very Republican, pro pro Republican, yeah. and it seems that you're starting to see that kind of ink its way out of you know just West Texas and spread across the state. But yeah, had a good trip down there. Um, we got to stop by the memorial in Uvalde uh, for the children, oh. which is uh, pretty pretty heavy hitting and uh, gives you a little bit of perspective on life but yeah so a few days without um, without wi-fi or cell phone service and just actually living out in the world and talking to people to find out information it was a different dynamic <laughs> well sorry sorry for the reason you guys had to go down there but at the at the same time it's good to see you didn't have access to a razor either yeah because... <laughs> so Let's hey, look, if I'm stuck out in the wilderness, I'm going to play the part and, and look <laughs> like it, too. So let's jump in real quick. We had midstream stuff happen last week. DCP bought Woodland for $180 million, um, which was an interesting deal to me because of the Woodland asset they actually bought from us at Kane for, I want to say, like $60 million or something. It was publicly uh, disclosed so uh, good for EIV for making a double or a triple off me yeah <laughs> just another reason to hate midstream but the bigger deal was Targa bought Lucid for three and a half billion dollars uh, which is a, obviously a big deal uh, Lucid was a private Delaware gathering and processing company I want to say they were backed by Riverstone and Goldman um, if you read all of kind of the narrative out there from the research reports, you know, they kind of said stuff like, well, if you have a clear strategic rationale, cash funding, reasonable valuations, the market will accept the deal. Target got beat up last week, but everybody got beat up. Um, so, you know, kind of whatever. The thing I found interesting is Heinz Howard, you know, the MLP guy on his sub stack, He's got a really interesting take on this, and he, he makes some negative comments about it, or slightly negative. You know, leverage is going from 2.7 times to 3.7 times, so not horrible amounts of leverage, but at the same time, you're no longer best in class. But he did some analysis to basically show you could have gotten the same amount of accretion in terms of increase in cash flow per unit, et cetera, all that stuff, by just buying your stock back. Yeah. Instead of making this acquisition. So uh, it's going to be incumbent upon the target management team to really get in there and find more in the way of synergies than they think or else should have bought their stock back. The So you had that deal, which was a monster deal. And then you had another monster deal, too, with Double Eagle. And I want to talk about what all of this means in context. So Double Eagle, um, if you're not familiar with them uh you probably don't work in upstream oil and gas but this is the fourth iteration of the company these guys have absolutely uh crushed it cody campbell and john sellers um back last year um sold um to pioneer for 6.4 billion and they're back on the scene announcing that they've raised 1.7 billion dollars from a group of investors that inc uh, includes ncap and Apollo, and um, I'm sure a few other. Didn't PE Apollo firms. say they were out? I thought they said they were out, but anyway, go things, ahead. Things change quick. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, this was um, kind of unexpected because we talk about on the show all the time, you know, just the um, the lack of capital 
in the space, right. you know, whether it's private markets or public markets, but seeing $1.7 billion injected into the industry, a couple of things I want to talk about on this one, um, the, the timing, you know, it seems like it'd be a pretty tough market to go deploy $1.7 billion um, in the Permian. Yeah. 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 Um, so I don't doubt these guys at all. I mean, look, got a track record of making shit happen. So don't, doubt oh, I them, agree. but just, um, on surface, it seems like that's going to be tough. And then second thing is, do you think that this is an outlier, um, for deals or do you think that this is an indicator that we'll see more, uh, private equity come into the space? So, so one thing to, to kind of note about these things, when you see $1.7 billion, a check actually or a wire transfer did not go from NGAP to Cody and John. They set up a company. They have an equity line of credit. So they have the right to ask NCAP for $1.7 billion. NCAP's going to have to say, yeah, say yes. Mm -hmm. Now, Cody and John's track record may be such that if they ask NCAP, NCAP has to say yes. I don't know what the, the ultimate documents are, but that's kind of how private private equity works. So to some degree, if you're NCAP, you're sitting there and it's like, these guys have done it three times, and after the third time, you're good. You're not lucky anymore. So we got this great team. It'll cost us, I don't know what their GNA would be, but I'm going to make this up, five, ten million a year. Mm -hmm. So we got a free, you know, for five or ten million bucks a year, we get a free look at them running around looking for deals. So there's a little bit of that. That being said, you know, private equity guys have been, as you say, don't have a lot of capital. So this is like, okay, we got one shot left to go shoot our shot, and we're going to go with, with John and uh, Cody. It'd be interesting. We need to get one of those guys. So John and Cody, if you're listening, haha, ha. Um, <laughs> we'd love to have one of you guys on the podcast to hear what they see. Yeah. You know, because what everybody owns all the acreage that's going to be owned in the uh, in the Permian Basin. So is this a case of, you know, we just think the the oil strip that's going from whatever 100, 110 to 70 is going to flatten out, and that's how we're going to make money? Do they see something maybe other folks don't see in terms of consolidation? It'd be really interesting to hear what the strategy is. They see something, right? I oh, mean, clearly. They've, they've set out on this with a thesis and a mission. Because so. quite, frank, quite frankly, I mean, and I don't know those guys well, and I'm not saying this about them. We all have big egos. We all want to do it again. At some point, if you don't have a thesis, it's like, Go hang out in Vegas and listen to the <laughs> yeah, chain smokers, yeah. you know. You have made, the chain smokers come play your backyard, yeah, you know. Yeah, you've yeah. made you've made your money. Yeah, um, so, there's no there's no need to um, go out and, and, and do it if you don't have a thesis. Because because the the way to kind of wrap these two subjects together is you know what what MLP guy is saying is it's cheaper to go buy my stock than to buy other assets. Mm -hmm. Um, you know. I wonder if Cody and John aren't sitting there looking at publicly traded companies and going, let's just take one of those out, you know? Yeah. Because Boone Pickens used to talk back in the day that there are certain times it's cheaper to go buy a barrel of oil on Wall Street than it is in yeah. West Texas. Yeah, I've heard so that. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to see what uh, what's happening there. Yeah, and then on top of that, I don't know if we covered this last week or when it happened, um, but Harold Hamm, uh, tanking continental private too was 
you know, I'd like to get your take on what you think is going on in Hambone's head. Um, but I've always believed that EMPs aren't a good fit for public markets. One, because especially what we've seen over the last couple of years with activist investors, um, the market's really just not rewarding uh, oil and gas equities. And then, you know, really just the element of, of control being able to uh, produce and do what you want uh, with that production. Do you think that that may be, I mean, that could be double eagles. It's like, Hey, we're going to go take out a public yeah. EMP and take it private. Um, yeah. Do you think what's, what's your sentiment on EMPs? Should they be public or private? What's a better operating model? Okay. I'm having a weird moment because you made me go into Hambone's head. So hold on. I got to get out of that real quick. Let's go into Hambone's okay, head. Okay. Ooh, I'm out. I'm out. You know, uh, you know, Mark and I talked a little bit about this last week on the show when you were gone. You know, there's various trains of thought. Harold's going to Harold. This is a unique situation. When you own 83% of a public company, Harold does whatever he wants to do anyway. I mean, he unwound all his hedges at 80 while oil was plunging. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know if it's so much control type stuff because he has it. He's just sitting there looking at the 17% that he doesn't own. Yeah. Saying, screw it. It's way undervalued. I know it's undervalued, so I'm going to just go buy it in. And Yeah. And He'll save dollars being public, and it's a little bit of a nuisance being public, I'm sure, to him. But at the end of the day, it's it's this special situation um, yeah. that probably just makes sense for him. DRW did a post on it where he said, you know, Harold's basically saying, screw you guys. You don't value it? I do. I'll take my returns and, and go private. You know, kind of the Eric yeah. Cartman. Screw you guys. <laughs> I'm going home. You screw know? you guys. So, I'm going home. So, yeah. So, that's that's probably what's going there. Does it lead to a trend? Probably not. Because it's just it's just Harold. There'd have to be another deal or two of people looking at it. Because Harold's got the money to kind of do it himself, yeah. probably, or access to it. Because he can just borrow against his 83% of the stock yeah. to do it. If you were going to do a true leverage buyout, take private and oil and gas, you got to go find billions of dollars. And to your point where you kind of started talking about this segment, who's going to give billions and billions of dollars? And then on top of that, you got to go find a bunch of debt and... We're getting to the point now where people are weary of uh, of loaning money. None of the European banks will do it, etc. So yeah, yeah. Another, I don't know if he's a billionaire, but super wealthy oil and gas guy. And this is private comment, so I can't say who it was or where the conversation happened. But he was talking about he thinks that there's a big opportunity to make an anti ESG bank. <laughs> these types of things. So uh, firearms, tobacco, yeah. oil and gas. Which um, yeah, on on the surface it seems like that could be a good So good when pieces. I was back at Stevens, um oil had plunged and we were trying to figure out what to do next. And I was a young vice president and the head of corporate finance is like I don't care if energy's dead. If you don't generate revenue, you don't have a home here. Mm -hmm. And he said it in a good way. It was a supportive way. Go find something to do. We wound up doing, um, you know, fuel cells, flywheel batteries, all that stuff. And we kind of had this thesis in the late '90s that we had to upgrade the grid to be able to deal with the digital economy. But before we got to that thesis, one of the theses we had was the Sin Group. Exactly what you're talking about. 
firearms, tobacco, throw oil yeah. <laughs> in there. And it was just the whole thought there being they're kind of recession proof, man. You're getting your booze whenever you're getting your yeah. booze, yeah. smoking your cigs. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's funny that oil and gas can now be considered sin in, in the sin category. Um, it's it's weird. We kind of, on one hand, we're, we're still bashed. But then on the other hand, energy security, man, we're ESG. We're, we're friendly. We're told we're killing the world, but it's also our patriotic duty to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which kind of rolls into the next thing I want to talk about. And I don't know crap about oil refineries. I really don't. We need to get <laughs> This 90. is about to be a hell of a conversation because I don't either. So. Never stops us. <laughs> yeah. Um, we need to get 90s random on here to talk about refineries because he actually knows. But if you look last week, the S&P 500 was down almost 6%. So everybody was bashed. Refineries were down more than 18%. And it was basically Biden, you know, trashing the refineries, going, coming out and demanding that they produce more oil, uh, gasoline, et cetera. I mean, they're running at 94% of uh uptime i mean mm -hmm. you can't run at 94 percent and not have something big and bad happen mm -hmm. and i and i'm not i don't mean an explosion is going to happen but there's just going to be need to be there's going to be a, a refinery that breaks down that's going to have to shut for major maintenance you know what 90s told me what do you say that okay. he or she yeah not anonymous yeah so one i'm trying to talk to a lot more people in downstream and refining because i want to I want to get smarter there and just learn a lot more. Um, but when I was talking to 90s, they said that this is what I found really interesting about that conversation. The most recently built refinery was built in the 1970s. Really nice US. facility in, yeah, the in the U.S. Okay. And it was shut down last year. And he was just telling me about all these other refineries. He's like, we dig up infrastructure will dig up in the ground there's wood pipes in the ground still running today because these refineries are 60 to 100 years old he's like we still run off wood pipes and it's like hey it gets product from one point to the other it still works and so that kind of blew my mind but what the call was about what he was really talking to me about was there's another refinery being shut down in houston and I found this to be a little bit bizarre because we hear about all the conversation about refining capacity and you would think that we need all the capacity online that we can get. He said that he thinks that any refinery, refinery that's under 300,000 barrels a day is at risk of being shut down. And I also asked him, I said, why do they shut these down instead of, why is there no M&A or consolidation? And he said for this refinery outside of Houston that's going to be shut down, he said, you know, they, they did try to sell it and couldn't get any bids near what they wanted. And instead of just taking a lower price, they just say, oh, fuck it, we'll shut it down. I'm like, why would they do that? And he's like, because they don't want other companies knowing what technology they use. They're so safeguarded with their technology in their refineries that they would rather just shut it down permanently than sell it cheap and let another company get their hands on it. And so I thought that was a super interesting oh, cultural dynamic. Um, and then just the fact that we're shutting down refineries in the U.S. as we really need more output from refineries. And 
you know, there's certain reasons for those refineries shutting down. Um, you know, like he was kind of alluding to, you know, what, that one that was built in the 70s ships product down to South America, but it's just not economic now and, you know, different things like that. But really want to dive into downstream and refineries because there's some really um, interesting dynamics both from economics and cultural perspectives and and geopolitical yeah yeah yeah. and so you got all of these different things pulling and i think uh i think that just from talking to him sounds like there's going to be a lot of things shaken up so 90s that's your call we're going to have to have you on the podcast doing something besides uh Remember when he came on and I had a BRV versus quick draw, the debate? Yeah. And I think, uh, oh, so 90s random played BRV and the outtakes (laughs) from that. Stacy McDonald and I still laugh when he was trying to say virginity and he kept calling it virginity or something. (laughs) Anyway, we started that podcast with like three minutes of outtakes, which my mom still makes me play periodically because they're so funny. Two things I've got on refineries that I want to learn more about is, you know, we're having to transition our refining capacity to deal with biofuels. Mm-hmm. I mean, here where we've got five, six dollar gasoline out there, we're saying, no, 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 guys, don't make, <laughs> don't make gasoline cheaper. Go do biofuels. So Exxon basically alluded to that in their letter coming back, and you know, got to hand it to a major. I mean, Exxon actually wrote, I think, it, it was measured in its response. I mean, Wampsum's probably pissed off that it didn't mention a flamethrower of some sort, but it was measured <laughs> in its response, and they actually made the good point. It's, hey, we have increased our refining capacity. Here's what we need you to do. Reduce some regulations. Reduce some mixing. Just give us some leeway on what our product looks like because we could we could do it a lot cheaper. So we need to learn more about why we're and why we are are devoting our refining capacity to biofuels and then number two why are we mixing in ethanol made out of corn yeah the the world's about to start starving one of the yeah one of the dumbest things is turning food into fuel and i think it was warren buffett that said that years back to yeah. it just made no sense yeah man i, w- I was going to take a picture of this gas station where was i somewhere in south texas um during the last week and i saw a gas station and the only gas that they sold was non-ethanol gasoline and red diesel i was like this is the most base gas station when i've got ever, a pack of luckies <laughs> so we're selling all the shit that you can't get anywhere else that's um, the that's the first investment in our anti-esg fund yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. We're, gonna, we're yeah. rolling that out. We're going to put it let's next go, to the Let's go. Buckies. Let's go. Yeah, I was going to say, let's go create the base Buckies where we sell off road diesel and non ethanol uh, gasoline. Perfect. So, well, one, speaking- last no- one last note just on refinery, real quick. According to the um, one of them, I think the EIG, we added about 1.3 million barrels of refining capacity worldwide over the last year, two years, something like that. It's all in China. Yeah. So, I mean, just as we're sitting here geopolitically thinking about China marching into Taiwan, just remember, they're building the fuel to do it while we're putting solar panels on our tanks. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The, um, it's actually, 
good transition for what I was about to talk about because I was thinking about that, especially over the last week, that the military-industrial complex, um, transportation, both in um, trucks and planes and uh, ships, those are all things that consume a ton of fuel and then mining as well. So uh, mining uh, consumes a ton of diesel. You're not going to have electric-powered tanks or earth movers or planes probably in my lifetime and you know or should we yeah and those industries right there are enough to keep oil and gas going for a long time but uh i did see a story come across that got a little bit of uh got a little bit of a reaction on twitter when i posted it because uh, i posted that chevron cummins and walmart have all partnered up to uh, transition some of Walmart's um, truck fleet off of or to renewable natural gas engines. And so let me split this up a little bit. A lot of people on Twitter were like, what the fuck's renewable natural gas? This is ESG grift. Look, call it whatever you want. Biogas, renewable natural gas, I don't give a shit. But RNG is the term that is being used um, that seems to be adopted. And here's the premise of what's happening with this deal. So Cummins, if you don't know, I'm a huge yeah. Cummins fanboy. Um, always have been. Love my Cummins trucks, um, both in 18-wheelers and my personal vehicles. Oh, um, hold on one second. Audience, I want it noted for the record that Colin has been sitting there saying, I'm a big, huge fanboy of Cummings, and I have not <laughs> laughed. I have not made a 13-year-old boy joke. I just want to know. People say so, I couldn't grow up. I'm growing up. Okay. So Cummins has actually developed a 15-liter nat gas engine for heavy-duty trucks. And Walmart is saying, hey, we'll uh, supply the trucks. We'll um, you know, let you put these 15-liter uh, nat gas engines in, in there. We want them to run off of RNG, and so that's where Chevron comes in um, to provide the uh, uh, RNG. And I'm looking here in my notes or on this article because Chevron's partnered up with a couple of um, RNG producers, which RNG uh, a couple weeks ago, actually last week um, or a week before, I can't remember. My days are getting mixed up, but um, I was down at the uh, Dallas Crude Association event in DFW, and I was talking to a guy there that works at an RNG company, and I was just asking about the economics of that. And you know, renewable natural gas, if you're not aware, is just um, taking methane from uh, cow manure or um, landfills. You know, yeah, landfills, or like I've even seen like these big domes for like pig, you know, pig methane, pig farts, yeah. and they capture it. And then, anyways, just super curious on the economics. And he told me it's extremely profitable because. One, you're getting to sell it off as gas, but then all of the uh, credits um, on top of that, especially from California. And he's like, it's, there's a lot of lot of money in RNG right now. And so, anyways, I think and that- And it's more, it, we, we looked at some of those at Kane, and this is somewhat dated, but a lot of the economics are fixed, fixed yes. too. And what I mean by that is once you build that capture over the landfill, the methane creates itself. So mm -hmm. it's not like you got to drill for it. It's not like it's a decline curve, you know? So once you spend the CapEx, it's incredibly profitable. Yeah. Kind of forever. Yeah. And 
using CNG in trucks isn't new either. I think it was actually last year, the year before Amazon um, said that they were uh, converting a portion of their fleet, not a huge portion, but um, some of their long haul drivers to CNG. And then, um, you know, back in the day, like even shit, it had to be 10 years ago now. Um, I remember seeing Apache uh, trucks out in West Texas that were all converted to nat gas and they're just running off of uh, um, gas that they're producing off of their assets out there. Yeah, that and was the Pickens plan. And yeah. Aubrey was big on uh, on gasifying fleets. Too, yeah, I mean, this so. is T Boone Pickens' vision here. Yeah. I mean, he'd love to see this um, coming to uh, fruition. Um, you know, I think CNG, you can see it around here in Houston, like. Uh, the waste uh is it waste management What's the yeah thing? yeah them and then a few BFI of the other and yeah a few yeah. of the other trash companies um their trucks you know say powered by nat gas or cng and so i think that cng makes a lot of sense when it comes to 18 wheelers and heavy uh heavy duty trucks don't think it makes a lot of sense for personal vehicles because you got to remember i mean this is uh, compressed gas yeah. and um, when things go bad it goes it goes really bad but because <laughs> <laughs> bad wrong yeah <laughs> so you know the 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 interesting thing there you know with eight dollar gas or seven dollar gas whatever we, we have now it's going to be challenging but the one thing bringing this up that makes a lot of sense is we need to think in, of energy in 10-year blocks and 20-year blocks instead of two minute blocks yeah and and so we need all you yeah know, more more of all and so having that infrastructure in place uh makes a lot of sense yeah. i do have one funny story on renewable gas um guy comes in pitches a deal it came this might have been 20 years ago comes in and it's one of those poop to power right we're mm -hmm. going to take the cow manure we're going to yep. run it through this and we you know we we burn it and it turns into electricity right and we spent a lot of time on the deal. And ultimately, we were just like, we don't understand this well enough to invest in it. Yeah. You know, we don't even really know what questions we should be asking. Guy's like, no big deal. He gets it financed, sends us email. Hey, I got it financed, blah, blah, blah. We're like, good luck. <laughs> he comes back in like 18 months later. And we're like, oh, yeah, what happened with that deal? And he goes, well, first 12 months, crushed it. Basically, got all the investors their money back. And then... Um, we had a monsoon in Southern California and it rained a whole lot, changed the composition of the gas. And so when the cows would shit after that, our machines didn't work anymore. Oh, and we were like, man, we didn't even realize that was a question. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's why we didn't invest because you don't know cow shit was cow yeah. shit. Yeah, um, yeah, that documentary that we shot uh, with EQT with Larry Kane, uh, yeah. talking about Larry Kane's farm. Um, you walk into, so Larry Kane runs a dairy farm and he's fully automated it. I mean, it's incredible, uh, work. And if you haven't seen it, uh, go check out shell new revolution on YouTube and you can see it, but he's got these big machines that look like giant Roombas and they go around the, the cow pen and they suck up all the cow shit, um, off the floor. And then they go to a little docking station and they dump it there. And then it goes down a, uh, funnel and there's just this big pit of cow manure. And Larry told me, he said, yeah, my next thing that I'm working on is how do I take that and produce gas off of it so I can power my farm? Yeah. I was like, that's 
Like, I don't care who you are. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. They have this whole closed loop automated system and it's powering, powering your farm. Yeah, that is really cool. Hey, one last thing. Um, we've always talked on this show about how we're really good at knowing oil supply kind of in the moment Mm because everybody has to report it demand. We're really good at knowing it like six months ago, kind of in the moment, you know, you're always looking for the canary in the coal mine, just some facts on this. So looking back, it appears that vehicle miles, which is a proxy for demand, obviously in the U S in March, 1.8% 1.8% uh, higher in 22 versus 19. So pre-COVID stuff. April, minus 3.8%. Now there seems to be a little bit of a uh, mild rebound because they have data kind of through the middle of May. But Canary in the coal mine, DOE on gasoline demand, they claim minus 7% April 22 versus 19. They claim minus 4% for March 22 versus 19. And just an anecdote, Brian Sullivan, the CNBC reporter that has Sankey on a lot and Pickering on a lot, he tweeted out that he was having uh, lunch and his waitress decided not to take a vacation because she couldn't afford to pay for the gasoline. And it was going to be for her daughter's um, graduation, and they decided to hold off. First off, EFT gave the money to the waitress. So the waitress is going to get to take her. Uh, That's very cool. Yeah. So actually Pickering put up the money. So we got to give Pickering props oh, on that. Good for Although Pickering. he stole my idea, but that's okay. <laughs> good, but, for, good for Dan. Good, good, good for Dan. Um, but Canary, so two things about this. Canary in the coal mine, we have pressure on demand. We need to be cognizant of that because historically high energy prices push us into a recession. So we need to be careful about that. And two, you know, you and I ran around and gave gasoline away for a weekend, just kind of one, it was the right thing to do, but two, mm-hmm. just to, to highlight it, it's going to become a bigger issue. And I really think the energy business needs to put a focus on that. And instead of being arrogant, we're making tons of money. We need to be, hey, we know you're hurting. We were hurting two years ago. Let us help you out. Let's yeah. figure out something to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. It blows my mind that someone like Exxon or BP doesn't do gas giveaways across social media um yeah but anyways uh yeah so i was at that dallas crew association panel was talking about demand destruction and i I, i'm torn right now because i do think that we're kind of getting to that threshold but also coming up uh really in the thick of summer the thing is millennials and gen z are going to travel regardless of the cost. I mean, if you go on every plane, every plane right now is packed. I mean, full flights. So airplane uh, travel doesn't seem to be affected. I haven't seen any data, but just from anecdotal evidence of me flying, um, people are traveling more than ever by plane. Um, Traffic still bumper to bumper. So well, and it's gone nuts since the U.S. got rid of you got to get a COVID test to come back into the yes, country. Yes, the, the United said and that's another know. thing to keep, take into consideration is that down here in Texas we live in a little bubble and we haven't been locked up for a long time, but there's still parts of the world that are still getting um, acclimated to reopening and being able to travel. So I think that that's something that has to be taken into consideration, and then. 
uh, where else was I going with that? Oh, yeah, on the flip side, you know, I posted the other day, electricity prices in Texas are skyrocketing. That's what I'm more worried about is five months ago, you could get on power to choose and you could get 10 cents uh, per kilowatt hour electricity rates and they're skyrocketing. I think they're like 16 to 19 cents uh, per kilowatt hour now. And so now me personally, I'm becoming that, that, that dad mode or like, why aren't you turning off the lights? <laughs> you paying that light <laughs> We're bill? We're going to hang meat in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually becoming aware of how much electricity usage we have at the house. Um, and then, like, I made a comment yesterday, like, uh, to, to my wife, like, oh, I want to go train at the downtown gym, but I don't want to drive down there and, and waste gas. So, yeah, you know, personally, I'm aware of it. And so I think that we could be reaching that, that tipping point. But that's just something that – Trust me, I'm watching the stock market crater as a man on a limited or let's call it zero income <laughs> these days. <laughs> and you fill up with gas. I'm starting to, uh, yeah, uh, I'm starting to, to feel it. Be too. aware of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we started seeing a decrease in demand come up here soon. But that said, uh, do you have anything else or is we it got, finger of the week? I think it's finger of the week. Tanner, let's do it. Finger of the week. Finger of the week went to Biden. I mean, he's calling oil and gas refiners in front. I don't know how it's actually going to go down, whether it's him, but he's demanding to know for them to justify their profitability. I mean, yeah, look, I saw this. Okay. A couple things. If this happens, one, I hope the Darren Woods, the Mike Worst, don't go in there and be soft about this. Have a fucking spine and stand up for the oil and gas industry. Remember, I don't know, what was it, six or eight months ago when they got called in front of Congress and you just let these politicians just walk all over you, have some balls and stand up for the industry and actually articulate what is happening and try to give some understanding. Chuck, I think you had tweeted something about they need to just flip it around and ask about Amazon and Apple's profits. But here I had this tweet that went viral the other day, which was just a really simple tweet. It's always funny when it goes viral. But uh, the tweet was, it's truly amazing how fast we went from we're going to end the oil industry to it's your patriotic duty to produce <laughs> oil. Um, so it's this weird situation of just gaslighting where you're, you're being told that, hey, it's your patriotic duty. You have a responsibility to society to produce oil and gas but we're also going to end you. And I can't remember who it was from the White House, um, from the administration the other day. But It was the energy uh, secretary who was on CNN saying, yeah, we need more gasoline today, but we're still getting rid of you. Yeah, they asked. They asked so, no, it was at a, a uh, presser, and someone asked, so you know, the, the administration has made it clear that we're transitioning to renewables and, and, and um, ending oil and gas. Is that still the case and they're like yes <laughs> and the guy just like point out just said like, well, yeah there was that's another the there was another great clip that popped up uh they were demonst uh gm was demonstrating a new electric vehicle and they were talking all about it how great it was and they're saying look it's being powered 
you know, by electricity right here. And someone turned to the uh, local uh, electric co-op and said, how do you generate your power? 95% coal. That video is funny. make this stuff Yeah, the video is funny as shit. But, so. All right, guys and girls, appreciate y'all tuning in to BDE this week. It's good to be back on the show after my hiatus on the Mexican border with uh, no cell phone service. The positive was I didn't have to deal with Chuck for a week it's probably well, you were probably, dreaming probably about why I had it. that's so that's, weird it's probably why you were in my dreams so i uh, did have a dream that chuck yates uh started up a energy fund which i think signals a top ninth for this ninth sign of the apocalypse <laughs> yeah, for right this there. for this cycle but join us next week we'll be back tuesday morning 10 30 a.m central time and until then check out chuck yates and job podcast and tomorrow i'm dropping startups. uh with darla farmer who is an expert on autism just awesome. we talked about the uh, really, situation yeah. you had about yeah. a month ago really good so. podcast there yeah. so we will catch y'all next week